Welcome into the Quick Fire Podcast. My name is Nathan Jackson here with Nathan Farmer. We got a very special episode for you. Nathan, why don't you go ahead and tell them what we got for him this week? Yeah, later today we're going to get into the 2021 Wolverines of the Year Awards. We're going to highlight some of the best achievements and accolades uh, the athletes here at UVU achieved this past year. And this is going to be the first ever annual awards. I hope that we can continue this and start something for future writers and editors to uh, kind of pick up as they... Uh, start to work their way into the review. Before we get to that, we're going to talk about men's soccer. Jojea Quizera was selected with the 15th overall pick in the MLS Super Draft by CF Montreal last week. He's the first UVU soccer player to be selected in the draft. Former Wolverine Ahmed Longmire, who transferred to UCLA, was also drafted with the 10th overall pick by Nashville SC. Yeah, that's pretty big news. I mean, I honestly, I feel like that's the biggest news that UVU has had in a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, granted, I think Fardaz Amak has a pretty good chance of being drafted into the NBA. That's going to, no offense to Georgia, but that's going to be like that's gonna massive be- headlining news. I mean, we've talked about how it just seems like Kyle Beckerman's trying to prep his team for playing in the MLS. Just watching their style of play, it's very reminiscent of like the U.S. men's national team and a whole lot of other uh, MLS teams. And so it's, um, I think this is just the beginning for men's soccer program. And I think that when you have players like Guzera and uh, AMAC who end up getting drafted, you start, you're able to put that on your resume, not only as a coach, but as a program that's kind of stamped where we are able to turn our athletes into professionals. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, I mean, just the fact that like we're having these awards later in the show. It's just a testament to the fact that the VU athletic program has been so successful in the last two years, essentially. I mean, just unprecedented success for this school and for the athletic department. So it's just really cool to see that. And I think this is obviously just the beginning. It's really exciting to see. Moving on to wrestling, they're currently on a COVID pause and had their meets this past weekend against North Dakota State Air Force and South Dakota State canceled due to their COVID protocols. Their new meets this week at Northern Iowa and number 11 Iowa State have also been postponed, which is really disappointing to see because, I mean, especially after the losses to Oklahoma State, you had a shot at a ranked program and kind of across the board, you had losses, especially from your major wrestlers like Taylor Omont. Um, and then you lose Demetrius Romero to a torn ACL. Um, I think that this program is kind of reeling a little bit and they're trying to get back on top of things. So I think a big performance in a match versus an I- Iowa State would have been great for them, but they still have the opportunity to uh, right the ship as their next meet will be a duel on January 29th against Wyoming and Missouri in Big 12 play. And Missouri is also ranked, uh, they're ranked number nine in the nation. Um, It should also be mentioned that, at least per the UVU Athletics website, all of these meets have just been postponed. They haven't been canceled yet. UVU does have a break between their meets with uh, Missouri and then their meet right after uh, against West Virginia, about a two-week break. So they might they might be able to fit them in there, and then between that and the Big Twelve Championships at the beginning of March. So I, I think that, that there's a good chance that these could get um, rescheduled and um, kind of thrown on the back end of the schedule, which would be really good for the uh, wrestlers because they just haven't had. I mean, they're kind of 
in the same boat as the men's soccer team was last season in the spring. They just can't get a consistent schedule. Everything's all over the place with COVID and yeah. rescheduling and postponements. It's If it's not your team, it's the other team. Yeah, so I, I hope they, they'll be able to get those uh, those uh, meets rescheduled. Uh, moving on to uh, women's basketball. They had their game on Thursday against Seattle U, postponed due to COVID problems in the Red Hawk program. Um, that was supposed to be their first home game in about six weeks, I believe. Uh, but they finally got back in action with a home game against the defending WAC champions, Cal Baptist, on Saturday. Uh, but they lost that one. It's 83 to 68. Cal Baptist led just about the whole night, but the Wolverines cut the deficit to four going into the fourth quarter. Uh, but the Lancers' offense was red hot down the stretch. Caitlin Harper went off for 30 points for the Lancers, including 15 of the last 21. Uh, for uh, Cal Baptist. Josie Williams scored a season-high 22 points and grabbed 13 rebounds for her ninth double-double of the season on uh, Madison Grange at 12 and Shea Pano at 11. I just want to say, I think that there's bona fide stars on that women's basketball team, Josie Williams, Maria Carvalho, but Shea Fano and Madison Grinch have been two players that have kind of come into the program. And I know Madison Grinch started off the bench uh, and worked her way into a starting role. And she has had some key plays and some big games this season. Yeah, and um, just, I mean, I believe she had double figures again uh, yesterday on, on Monday against Dixie State. I believe it was 13 points against the Trailblazers. Yeah, that Dixie State game... Um, they won 68 to 65 in St. George. It was originally scheduled for January 8th. Uh, Josie Williams had 18 points and 14 rebounds. And Maria Carvalho had almost a double-double with 17 points and 8 rebounds. And the Wolverines led 62-45 to with 8 minutes to go, but Dixie State scored 17 straight to tie it. Josie Williams then scored the final 5 points for the Wolverines, including a pair of free throws to put them up 3 with 2 seconds to go. Um, so that was a Close game, but finally kind of snapped the losing streak. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's another program that just hasn't been able to get into a rhythm. I mean, they they were on a COVID pause for about three weeks, I believe. But even before that COVID pause, I feel like they had lost, I want to say, six out of their last eight. Yeah, they won the game at Montana on December 9th, and then they lost to Montana State, Utah, Idaho State, Abilene Christian, Tarleton, then Cal Baptist, and then finally won that came against Dixie State. And, I mean, those losses against Abilene Christian and Cal Baptist, like, you can understand those. Those are solid whack teams. But Idaho State and those other games are games that you really should be winning, especially if you want a chance at winning the whack tournament. Yeah, and I actually had a, a funny story. I meant to share this uh, a while ago because this happened during the Montana game back on December 9th. I was covering that game, and it was on ESPN Plus, and the announcer was obviously the Montana home announcer. And through the entire first quarter, he was pronouncing Maria Carvalho's name terribly wrong. It was like, not to get like stereotypical, but it was like the typical old white guy pronunciation. Oh, no. <laughs> it was like, Maria Carvalho. <laughs> and so I, I was like live tweeting about the game, and I just tweeted out, can somebody please tell this announcer how to pronounce Maria Carrillo's name correctly? It's not that hard. And so that was like in the break between the first and second quarter. And within like five seconds, 
he's pronouncing the name correctly. And I'm like, somebody must have somebody must have shown him your tweet. <laughs> somebody must have gone over and told him because. <laughs> but then, like, I felt bad later because I could see the guy in the background of like the broadcast, and it was like just this old guy who probably goes to the mall and is a mall Santa or whatever, <laughs> like just dresses up as Santa in the holidays. He's just like this nice looking old man. And I'm like, I probably hurt his feelings. No, feel I mean, like when you're doing a job that requires professionalism like that, I mean, you got to do your due diligence and find out pronunciation. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I've had interviews, not interviews per se, but we've had uh, in one of my classes here at UVU, we had Mike Tarico come in and he talked about, uh, the process he goes into each game as an announcer, and it was obviously you have to get every player's name right. That's a that's first a must. So I mean, when you're announcing, that's kind of something that's expected of you. So uh, you may have heard his feelings, but I'm sure that the program would probably appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I remember I I could see like Clint Berge on the broadcast too, just like on the opposite end of the the uh, media table. I'm like, I bet he saw my tweet. (laughs) It seems like he would probably, he seems like somebody that would totally not go for that. Just want to nip that in the butt. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Moving on to men's basketball, they are now 11-6 and six on the season following a pair of losses to Seattle U and Cal Baptist. They had a 9-point lead at halftime and a 10-point lead late in the second half versus Seattle U but couldn't hold on. And they nearly came back against Cal Baptist, but the game-tying shot at the buzzer was missed by Jaden McClanahan. They come back home this week for games versus UTRGV and Lamar. So that men's basketball program started out really hot. I mean, back in December... They were riding high, I feel like, where they were 11-2, and 11-6, kind of struggling now. I think that now you're getting into conference play, I think we're beginning to realize that the WAC is a lot more contested than we originally imagined. Um, and we had projected that Cal Baptist and Abilene Christian and those schools would be contenders in the WAC, but to the extent where... There's really no true front runner in the WAC right now in terms of men's basketball. I don't think any of either of us anticipated that. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly a crapshoot at this point with the WAC. I mean, there's like there's going to be so much attrition at the top. Like UVU could find their way back into in, within two games. games. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like Seattle U, nobody was projecting them to be uh, conference title contenders yet. Now they're in first place, and you have to. Um, season i believe yeah you have to look at it from a perspective like obviously it's only i believe two games into conference or two or four um yeah, we're not too it depends on the program depends on the program some, some of that COVID problems, but yeah. so you kind of have to look at it as a whole um obviously your non-conference going into that is a good indicator of how good of a team you are but i think that you'll start to see the standings round out a bit once we get to more towards March, I think middle of February will be a good indicator of like where each team stands. Um, after you've you've kind of gotten one look at a team and you're getting another your uh, second look at other teams. Yeah, and I mean this this Wolverines basketball team they're dealing with tons of injuries to key contributors. We haven't even seen Trey Woodbury at all this season, which is. Honestly, strange because I almost I thought he was going to be coming back at the BYU game. I heard rumors of that, and now it's yeah. almost yeah. end of January. And we still have been we still haven't even heard a word about what injury what his injury is, but also when he's when the timetable is for his return. Yeah, and in in that uh, 
uh, gaming in Seattle U, Trey Farrow was also out. He had an undisclosed, quote-unquote, non-COVID, non-COVID illness. illness that um, I believe he didn't make the trip at all. So I don't think he was even in uh, Riverside for that game against Cal Baptist. Um, and then also um, Justin Harmon, too. He's been out for a while. And he's a big player off the bench. He's a big yeah. defensive guy. Yeah, so I mean, that's just... You don't want to make excuses, but injuries have just been uh, a huge contributor to this team, just kind of not getting into a rhythm. Uh, moving on to track and field, uh, they were at the BYU invita- Indoor Invitational this past weekend. Uh, Zane Ferrer finished first in the 60-meter hurdles. Neil Berkey and Jacob Deming finished second and third in the men's heptathlon. Uh, Meg Walker and Madison Clark took first and second in the women's heptathlon. Uh, their next meet will be January 29th of at Idaho State. Moving on to some news and notes, the NFL playoffs are going on, and I know this really has no relation to Utah or UVU, but, man, did the Cardinals get embarrassed last night. Oh, my God. That, that, I stopped watching after that Kyler Murray. That interception where he just flings the ball up and basically just hands it to I, I could not. I mean, when I saw the halftime score at 21-0, I was like, I was honestly in disbelief. That was, gosh, I was just dying laughing when I saw that interception, honestly. Like, it's just like, what the heck are you thinking, dude? Come on. And then, I mean, there was a couple of blows, too. The Buccaneers, they easily took down the Eagles. Steelers looked horrible against the Chiefs. I mean, I feel like most of these first-round matchups weren't close. Yeah, I mean, the game of the week was obviously 49ers and Cowboys, and that one didn't disappoint. It and did especially for, for quarters, but the last quarter definitely was made things a whole lot more interesting. It might have disappointed for Cowboys fans, but <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm a 49ers fan, and it, it was just that entire game. I don't know why. It I, I, was just okay, so can, hilarious. Can we talk about that last play? How you think you can spike it when the rule is you can't even spike the yeah. ball with under three seconds left, and Dak's trying to spike the ball? You, I don't. I don't know what his thought process was, but you don't QB sneak when you are running out of time, no timeouts. You throw it to the sidelines every yeah. time. And he didn't even make an attempt to get out of bounds. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, there are a lot, their first three or four plays of the drive before perfect. that. They're perfect. Throw to the sideline. It's not like the 49ers were stopping it at all. I mean, they had, they were getting 20 yards each play. It was, I'm not going to complain because it worked out in my favor. But as, as a fan of the sport, it's like, I mean, I know it gets hectic in those final minutes. And I've been in situations like that as an athlete before where you're exhausted. The clock's ticking. You have no idea what's going on. You have no timeouts where your coach can't talk to you. You can't, like, gather your bearings. And so you're kind of just scrambled. Um, but, I mean, in the NFL playoffs, that just can't happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was – it was just so funny. I mean, I I'm a, I'm a terrible person, but it was just <laughs> it was so funny watching like all the Cowboys fans, just the looks on their faces. Especially the, that I, I saw girl, the looks of despair. The one girl that was just sobbing with like four minutes to go. I was like, the, the game was not over with yeah, four minutes to go. They still had a chance, but I mean, I guess she kind of knew that her team was never going to get past the first round. <laughs> But yeah, there's going to be some interesting matchups this week. I uh, I'm pretty excited. A Tampa Bay, who do they go up against? Uh, should be the Rams. Rams. That'll be a good one. Yeah. the Rams are looking better than they have all season. 
Yeah, but it's still it's Tom Brady though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying I'm not saying the Rams will win. I'm just saying that like I think there was a lot of people before the season that were like Matthew Stafford has just been on the Lions and he hasn't had a real offensive line. He hasn't had a real team around him. And now that he's playing for the Rams, I feel like he's kind of showing that with like solid pieces around him, he can make a run into the playoffs. And I think he showed that on Sunday. Yeah, and I'm just trying to look it up real quick. I feel like the 49ers and Packers, every time they play in the postseason, the Niners win. Granted, I, I have a recency well, bias with just like... I mean, you also have to take into account every time the Packers play in the playoffs, they choke, so... Yeah, I mean, it's just the... Um, okay, so it looks like it's four and four, but um, the last... I believe it's the last four games... Have all gone 49ers way? Yeah. So that is recency, but I mean to be on a four-game winning streak in the playoffs versus the Packers, that's no small feat. Yeah, I mean, I just I mean, I just remember Colin Kaepernick just running all over Packers. That was, those games were so good. And then last year, NFC, or not, two years ago, sorry, NFC Championship, just a blowout from the start. I mean, they had no shot. <laughs> but um, I honestly thought Aaron Rodgers was going to leave the Packers after that game. Yeah. I'm surprised he stayed as long as he has. So I feel like Aaron Rodgers might be done with Green Bay if they don't win, like if they don't make a Super Bowl this season. Because, I mean, especially after last season with the play calling where they punted with, I want to say, like two and a half minutes left. No, it was the, I believe it was a field goal. They were down like, uh, I think they were down eight or something. I don't, it was something ridiculous where they kicked a field goal instead of going for a touchdown hide it or something. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was it. And I think that there was a lot of animosity between Rodgers and their offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, and you could tell he was met like pretty livid after that. I thought he was going to be gone. So the fact that he's back this year, I think that the Packers as an organization are on thin ice in terms of Aaron Rodgers. And I think that he could easily end up on another team next year. Hopefully the Saints. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's honestly, the, that might be the most likely situation. I mean, I was just thinking about just now like teams that don't have quarterbacks or have quarterbacks that haven't really proven themselves i'm thinking of like pittsburgh miami houston those are probably like the top three outside of new orleans of where he could end up but i think the best situation is the saints i mean considering they almost made the playoffs and they didn't even have, honestly, like, to be real, Simeon and Taysom Hill, neither of them could lead that team yeah, into a or, playoff game. Or, uh, what's his face, Ian Book. Yeah, none, none of them could win a game. And it was, it was out of all the three, it was toughest to watch Ian Book because he couldn't even get a first down. Yeah, I mean, Taysom, he was, they were... He, he won games, but Taysom was hurt in the time he should have been starting, so he really didn't get a chance to prove himself all that much. And when Simeon was starting, he went 0-4. So, I mean, I think that, that what that team needs is like uh, a veteran quarterback, like a bona fide established quarterback that's established in the NFL. Moving on to some NBA news. The Jazz are now 29 and 14, and my record prediction was correct, but the order of the wins and losses was not correct. I said that the Jazz would lose versus Cleveland and Denver and win against the Lakers. They ended up losing versus Cleveland and the Lakers and winning against Denver. Um, so, one and two. They've now lost, I want to say, six out of their last seven with the five-game losing streak that they were on, and then they just picked up the six loss versus the Lakers. So yeah, six out of their last seven. 
is how many games they've lost. They really struggled without Gobert, four-game losing streak when he wasn't in the lineup. But versus the Lakers last night, they were completely healthy. Everyone was active, and they just dropped one. Yeah, I mean, this this week they need to ride the ship before this weekend because um, Wednesday and Friday they play Houston and Detroit, two of the worst teams in the league. And they dropped two games to the t- two of the worst teams in the league in Toronto and Indiana. So, like, they need to make sure they win the games that they need to win. Well, and it's their, it's our, probably their biggest stretch of the season um, at Golden State and then at Phoenix. I know Jazz fans have been looking at um, – they still ha- haven't played Phoenix yet this season. And so they're, they're looking at that game as kind of a barometer to see if this team is actually legit or not. Once they play Phoenix, they're, it's kind of like what they're going to – base their expectations off of, which is fair because they're the defending Western Conference champions. Yeah. And I think that obviously anytime you play Golden State you want to win. Um it to me that game just depends on whether or not Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson are in the lineup. I think that without Clay Thompson in the lineup he's resting, they can still win. Obviously they've already done that this season. But I mean I feel like if all three play, they're really just a better matchup for the Jazz than most teams in the league. And I've I've been talking about this with some other uh, some Jazz fans around Utah, and we've talked about how the Jazz are a terrible matchup for the Warriors right, as it currently constructed, but the Warriors are a terrible matchup for the Bucks, and they got annihilated by the Bucks the other night. Um, and it's just funny how teams can be really solid, but when they play certain teams, it's just they can't seem to get their number. Looking at that game on Sunday. At Golden State, Draymond Green is going to be out. He's out for at least another two weeks with his uh, calf issue, I believe. It's interesting because it's, I read a little article about it. It's stemming from a back issue is like, is making his calf. Honestly, like, I could, it's kind of weird. It kind of runs down. So I could kind of see that. I'm sure that's not pleasant. But I think that in terms of this week, even though this kind of stems in next week, we'll, since we don't record until Tuesdays, I think that the Jazz beat Houston. Actually, I take that back. I think the Jazz lose versus Houston. I think they beat Detroit. I think they lose versus Golden State. And then I think they lose versus the Suns. I'm going really pessimistic this week. I think that they go one and three. Taking a page out of uh, Bridger's book, you would always pick the, like, the worst possible Outcomes, it seems like. I don't know. It just seems like the Jazz are really ruined and they can't find their rhythm. Yeah, I, I think they're going to find their rhythm. I'll say they go 3 and 1 this week. They're going to go with the homer pick. Say they win all of the games except for the one against Golden State just because I can't pick against my, That's fair. my team. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I think that Devin Booker is on a tear right now and I don't think the Jazz can stop. The Jazz don't have perimeter defenders to stop him, they, yeah. they don't have perimeter defenders to stop Steph Curry. I think Kate Cunningham could easily light up the Jazz, but I don't think he will. But uh, Jalen Green, he's a monster. I think that Houston can beat any team on any night. They're just not deep enough to win consistently to make like to be a playoff team. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. All right, and now what we've all been waiting for, we're moving on to the 2021 Wolverines of the Year awards. So we'll go ahead and dish this over to you, Nathan. I'll let you uh, present the first award. Uh, for First award, men's coach of the year. And so when we say men's coach of the year or men's in general, we mean the men's teams because there's some, well, you'll see what the next award. But um, men's coach of the year, we're going to say, is Greg Williams, head coach of the wrestling program. 
they had two All-American finishers at the NCAA Wrestling Tournament this past spring with Taylor Levant and Demetrius Romero. Best finish in program history as far as having multiple All-American finishers. Huge props to Coach Williams with the job that he's doing with the uh, wrestling program. For the Women's Coach of the Year, we have Sam Atoa, who had two NCAA tournament appearances, two WAC tourney championships, and third place in the WAC spring season. That women's volleyball team. I was really surprised when I was um, when I covered the NCAA tournament game against Utah just a few weeks ago. Um, when I was doing like some background research on the team and stuff, I was surprised to see that Samato has been the coach for UVU for about twenty. This was his twenty fourth season, mm-hmm. so he's been with the team when they're junior college up through all the different steps that they've taken to get here. And the fact that he's been able to make that jump up to Division One and... And be successful. Yeah. And I mean, th- there was times this season where I they didn't look like they were going to even have a shot in the WAC tournament. And they ended up taking the championship and going to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think it just speaks to the, the mental toughness that this team had. And that obviously starts and ends with the coach. And for our next award, we have Men's Team of the Year, and that would be Men's Basketball. They claimed the 2021 WAC regular season title and started off this season 11-2, beating the number 12-ranked team in the nation, the BYU Cougars. That was the highest-ranked team that UBU has ever beaten in men's basketball. It's uh, actually the only ranked team they've ever beaten in men's that basketball as well. I stand corrected. <laughs> I mean, and it's, I mean, granted, they haven't had very many, well, I mean, they, they have had a few opportunities, especially with the, what is it that they called it, the toughest 24 hours a few years ago. With they played Kentucky Duke and, and Duke back-to-back. Yeah. At their own, at like their arenas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that obviously they've had chances to beat ranked teams, but this was a chance unlike any other at home against your crosstown rival. I am going to forever kick myself for not getting that day off of work so that I could go to the game, storm the court, yeah, that, that was such a great game. We'll, we'll touch more on that later. Women's Team of the Year goes to women's soccer. They made the NCAA tournament for the first time in program history in the spring season, as well as winning the very first NCAA tournament game in school history over the Memphis Tigers. And Memphis was ranked 25, I believe, right? Yeah, so it, wasn't a, it was a tough matchup, and the women's soccer team came out on top. I mean, I, I covered a lot of their games, both in the spring and fall season. Uh, such a great team to watch. So we're moving on to individual performances. And for the men's co-individual performance of the year, we have Demetrius Romero and Taylor Lamont. Both of them had All-American finishes at the NCAA Wrestling Tournament last spring, with Lamont finishing fifth in the 125 weight class and Romero finishing sixth in the 174. This is the first time that UBU had two wrestlers finish in the top eight at nationals. Uh, moving on to women's individual performance of the year, uh, we picked Kristen Bell with her double-double of 18 kills and 18 digs versus Hawaii past, I believe it was in September. Uh, I believe that was the first win of the season, kind of wrote, righted the ship. That's the right. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Kind of righted the ship, got this season back on track uh, for the women's volleyball team. And now for game of the year, for men's game of the year, obviously, it goes without saying, the win versus 
number 12 BYU on December 1st. That game went to overtime, and Fardos Amac had 24 points and 22 rebounds, and Justin Harmon had 24 points as well. Huge plays down the stretch. Fans stormed the court, as we mentioned, the first ranked win for this UBU program all time. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for, um, I mean, it would have been very easy to say that Fardos Amac had the individual performance of the year in that game against BYU, but we wanted to spread the wealth, and that is just a ridiculous stat line. So 24 points and 22. And he also points. had, I want to say, five steals. Yeah, which he filled up the stat sheet. It was, it's crazy. I'm looking at it right now. He two of four from three, uh, four assists, three blocks, five steals. Three blocks. And Justin Harmon had three blocks as well. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously somebody you wouldn't expect that from being a guard. Yeah, he was defensively on the perimeter was incredible. And the perimeter defense of UBU in that game was astounding. I mean, Blaze Neal, Justin Harmon, Connor Harding were really locking up those BYU guards to the point where, I mean, they held Barcelo to 17 points. And he's, I mean, according to Jay Billis, he's been named the best shooter in college basketball. I mean, that's just one of the strengths of this team is their perimeter defense. I mean, I, I covered the game against Dixie State last week. And it was just when UBU was going on a run, and they just were locking down Dixie State, even though even when they were making shots, if they still had a hand in their face, making life difficult, and they did not get any easy buckets. And yeah, definitely one of the strengths of this team. Moving on to women's game of the year, we already touched on this a little bit, but uh, women's soccer defeating number twenty-five Memphis in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Sadie Brockbank scored the game winner in the sixtieth minute to give. UVU its first ever NCAA tournament win across all sports. And now, for Player of the Year, we have Men's Player of the Year, and that is Fardaz Amak, who is garnering national attention at this point. He's was on the front page of ESPN's NCAA section the other day. There was an article written about him saying that the world needs to know and recognize Fardaz Amak and what he's doing in college basketball right now. Yeah. NCAA's number one rebounder last season, top of the rebounding leaderboards this season, and that goes without saying he's also averaging over 20 points a game. He leads the nation in double doubles, at least as of the uh, beginning of last week. I'm not sure what's going on. I want to say with 16 double, 15 double doubles? Yeah, I, I, something around there. But, I mean, he, he's been out of this world just doing stuff that putting up video game numbers essentially – day in and day out. Especially for a center, obviously when we talked about how he slimmed down last season or the, over the past offseason and how it was a question whether or not he would be able to dominate in the post like he was uh, in the previous season with his size. But slimming down has done nothing in terms of his rebounding ability or his presence in the post. And I think he's gotten even scarier as an offensive player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw a couple of tweets earlier this week. It was like mock drafts, and they were projecting him to go to Golden State with the 30th overall pick or something like that. And I'm like, oh, please. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I want Dawes on my team. I mean, Golden State does need a center that can – obviously, they always love a stretch five, stretch four. But uh, if he could shoot that NBA three, that would be really scary. But also, they need somebody to get rebounds because – when they go up and they need somebody to defend. And I mean, you saw against BYU five steals, three blocks. They need somebody that can go up against the NBA's best centers and hold them at bay a little bit. Because right now, I mean, I mean, you saw against the Bucks, the Warriors just got annihilated by Giannis. 
And that goes with Giannis's game, but at the same time, they really don't have a defensive center. Yeah, I mean, Kevon Looney and James Wiseman, he's obviously the future of the franchise. And he's still out. Position. But um, they, need, they need young depth. Obviously, being a Warriors fan, I'm pretty active with NBA Twitter, Warriors Twitter, and they're not super high on Kevon Looney. He always just has like mental brain lapses and stuff like that that kind of annoy people. Mm-hmm. But I think, and obviously I'm biased, but I, I feel like Dawes would fit perfectly in with that. With that program. Moving on to Women's Player of the Year, the greatest of all time in my eyes in the women's volleyball history. I honestly want to say in UBU Women's Athletics. Yeah, that's definitely not a stretch, but uh, Kazna Tanubasa uh, finished just six kills shy of setting the career kills record uh, for UBU. And I mean, now now that we're talking about that, you you almost want to think about how many games did they have postponed or canceled due to COVID? Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I I was when I was covering the, that NCAA tournament game, it was kind of. I mean, I was focusing on that. Obviously, nobody. I feel like nobody else was focusing on the kills record. Obviously, mm-hmm. since they're just focusing on getting the win. But um, she had done it in considerably less sets played and yeah. games played than um, the all-time record holder had done it in. Um, so I I think it's without question that she's the the GOAT, so to speak, in uh, women's history here at UBU. Kind of like Steph Curry getting the three-point record in like half the games is Ray Allen. Yeah, I mean, it, wasn't, it wasn't that drastic, but it was still like, 15 games less yeah. or something. So like not, not quite that drastic, but she definitely had less time on the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, there were there were plenty of games earlier this season as well where she like played one set as well. Like, yeah. I believe against Idaho State, one of the games, one of the few games that I covered um, in person for women's volleyball, she didn't play at all. And so, I mean, and that was kind of a, I think that was kind of a, a sportsmanship type thing because Idaho State, they were missing like three of their best players. Gotcha. So they, Coach Atoa could have easily put in all the starters and the game would have been a blowout, but he wanted to get more time for his starters and bench players. But she definitely had a season for the ages. I mean, 20 kills versus Chicago State. And I mean, it goes without saying she was one of the greatest players to come through this program. Yeah, I mean, and her spring season was considerably better than, than the fall season, I would mm-hmm. say. I think she would say that as well. But just the overall body of work that she's put together in her four years at um, stands for itself. Well, that's all we've got for this edition of the Quickfire Podcast. Congratulations to all of the Wolverines that won awards this year. Hopefully we will be doing this again next year. Maybe not with me and Nathan, but maybe with new hosts. And congratulations to UVU Athletics and all they've been doing, making strides across the NCAA and getting their name out there and becoming a bona fide Division One program. Yeah, I mean, that's just one thing last spring, towards the end of last semester, I worked on a piece for the one of our print editions, um, kind of in preparation for finals week, doing a like a quote-unquote best finals performances in UVU history. And it was kind of staggering how few big like like championship seasons that UVU had had prior to like the last three or four years essentially 
and like I, it was kind of a stretch for some some of them going back to like early two thousands mm-hmm. games that nobody remembers, but there's record of it online somewhere. <laughs> but um, back when they were like it's like the NJCAA or whatever, yeah. or something like still a junior college. But um, yeah, it's just amazing to see the progress that they've made in the last four or five years or so. Yeah, it started at UBSC and ended up at UBU. So congratulations to that program. That's all we've got for this episode of the Quickfire Podcast. Be sure to tune in next week to hear me and Nathan break down why the Jazz went 1-3. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you.